came to believe is designed as an outlet for the rich diversity of convictions implied in God as we understood him. Our co-founder, Dr. Bob, said, we are not bound by theological doctrine. We are many minds in our organization first. We will read a chapter from the Came to Believe book, then our speakers will discuss the reading and their experience with the coming to believe process. I wasn't alone anymore. I was in and around the fellowship for three years, sometimes staying sober, sometimes cheating myself, of course, a little bit or a lot. I loved AA, shook hands with everyone at every door at all meetings. I attended, and they were, and they were many. I was a sort of AA hostess. Unfortunately, I still had a lot of trouble with me. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot I passed. <laughs> Page 13 in the middle, though. I wasn't alone anymore. Sorry about that. Good call. <laughs> All right. One member of our group used to say, if you would just take the third step, he might, as well, he might as well have been talking Dutch. I couldn't understand. Although I had been an honor student at, at Sunday school, I had gotten far away from anything spiritual. At one point, I did manage to stay physically sober for six months. Then I lost my job, and at 54, was sure was sure I would never get another. Very frightened and depressed, I just couldn't face the future, and my stupid pride wouldn't allow me to ask anyone for help. So I went to the liquor store for my crutch. In the next three and a half months, I died a hundred times. I still attended a lot of meetings when I could, but didn't tell anyone of my troubles. The other members had learned to leave me alone because they felt helpless, and I understand now how they felt. One morning, I awoke with a decision to stay in bed all day, that way I couldn't get a drink. I kept that decision, and when I got up at 6, I felt secure as the liquor stores closed at that hour. That night, I was desperately ill. I should have been in the hospital. About 7 o'clock, I started to phone everyone I could think of in and out of AA, but no one could or would come to my aid. As a last effort, I phoned a blind man. I had worked and cooked for him for several years, and I asked him whether I could take a taxi and come to his apartment. I knew I was going to die. I told him, and I was afraid. He said, die, and he'd die and be damned. I don't want you here. He told me later he could have cut his tongue out and thought of calling back. Thank God he didn't. I went to bed sure I would never get up again. My thinking had never been clearer. I couldn't really see any way out. By 3 o'clock in the morning, I still hadn't slept. I was propped up with, my, with pillows and my heart was pounding almost out of my chest. My limbs start, started turning numb, my, first my legs above my knees, then my arms above my elbows. I thought, this is it. I turned to one source I had been too smart, as I saw, or too stupid to appeal to, to earlier. I cried out, please, God, don't let me die like this. My tormented heart and soul were in those few words. Almost instantly, the numbness started going away. I felt a presence in the room. I wasn't alone anymore. God be praised. I have never felt alone since. I have never had another drink, and better still, have never needed one. It was a long way back to health, and it was quite a while before people had confidence in me. But that didn't really matter. I knew I was sober, and somehow I knew that as long as I lived the way I believed God wanted me to live, I never feel fear again. Recently, I was told that I had a malignant tumor, malignant tumor, tumor <laughs> instead of being afraid or depressed. I thanked God for the past 16 years of borrowed time he had given me. 
The tumor was removed. I feel fine and am enjoying every minute of the day. There will be many more days, I believe. As long as God has work for me to do, I will remain here. Okay, and our first speaker of the night is um, Doug P. from Early Birds. Uh, again, once again, my name is Doug, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date is June 13, 2011. And um, I actually came to believe, uh, thanks for Kara for asking me, because she asked me, yeah, no problem, I'll come chair. I go, what's a... Uh, came to believe reading. I've never done one of these before. So she helped me out. She sent me a copy of the, the reading and stuff. And I actually can relate to it quite a bit. Um, alcohol kind of initially just became something to do for me. And then it became kind of like a hobby. And obviously then it became an obsession. And uh, I'm not going to really concentrate a lot on my drunk a lot because we all have our horror stories, I think, with that. But um, it, it became a, an occasional type of thing, and then it became, it was an everyday thing for the last uh, year and a half, two years um, before I got sober. And it started interfering with my marriage, and it started interfering with my job, and obviously started <laughs> interfering with my health. And um, I always put this out there because my counselor at Westfall said, uh, as far as being us, Part of my story is that I'm actually a retired police officer from the town of Ironicoy here. It's been a little over a year. And I say that because I don't want to have to fight my way out of meetings, but I say that because it is part of my story. And I started having issues with alcohol. Um, I didn't realize I had an issue with alcohol until my wife told me. And the, she said I had an issue with alcohol, so that got the wheels turning because up to that point, there was no problem. And um, the end came basically after a two-day binge, and I ended up in the hospital. I actually came into work drunk. And my lieutenant at the time, who is now the chief of police, was waiting for me because I called in late because I've been calling in late a lot and or sick, usually on my first one day and sometimes two days. And actually, uh, towards the end, my body was so, was so beaten, it would be, I would not show up at work for like a whole four-day. We, we worked a four-on, two-off. It became that bad. Um, during my drinking, I would ask God, please help me not to drink. But I really didn't want him to help me not to drink because I wanted to drink. There would be times when I'd be uh, laying in bed and I'd be hallucinating uh, detoxing and apparitions would be floating around uh, the ceiling and stuff, floating around the room. And I would actually at, at times have my wife come and lay with me because I thought the angel of death was coming to get me. I said, God, please get me through to the morning. And he did, and then I continued to drink. Uh, I had a great forgetter. My stop switch had been broken for a long time, and my forgetter was working full time. Um, so I ended up in Highland Hospital uh, for three and a half days. And uh, I had a lot of time to think because I was not allowed to leave the hospital room without an escort. And <laughs> okay, so I pretty much was in bed for three days. And I had an outstanding nurse that the day nurse would come in and actually sit down and ask me, how are you feeling? And I've been asked that a lot, but at this point I was finally open, open to, to actually expressing how I'm feeling. Like, well, I feel like crap. I'm scared because I don't know what's going to happen at work. I don't know what's going to happen with my health because the doctor said that, you know, one more drinking, you're going to die because my liver functions were totally out of whack. 
And my liver actually hurt all the time, except when I drank it, it kind of went away. Uh, but every time I was detoxing or got, you know, sobered up a little bit, my liver was, it would hurt a lot. But I still continued to drink. So this was kind of like my wake-up call. And, and I asked God in a hospital bed to help me. Uh, there was no white light, no bright light, no angels. Um, because I'd become a born-again Christian when I was a, a teenager. I was always active in church. Uh, even when I went to the Navy out of high school, I still, when we were in port, I would still attend churches and stuff. But then I kind of got away from church, kind of got away from praying a lot and stuff like that. So um, except for the foxhole prayers when I was uh, detoxing or please help me not drink anymore. So I ended up uh, asking God for help. And for a gentleman, I like to refer to myself as a gentleman at least, who wanted to drink from the minute he woke up, until the minute he passed out at night, every day, all day long, that obsession was taken away from me. And, and I believe it was by the grace of God because it was nothing that I did. And I, initially, I would go to meetings. I never was really sober, but I would still go to meetings. Kind of sit in the old yellow house in the corner with the steps and traditions. They're hoping by osmosis they would affect me because I never got a sponsor, never did the steps, and never really talked to anybody. So I'm a staunch believer in, in open up your mouth and telling people what's going on with you because you don't want to keep that secret because it's not good. But uh, I'd ask God for help in that hospital bed, and, and he did because he took that obsession away from me. And that's one thing because I, I always thought if I have to fight not drinking every day, I don't know if I really want to get sober because I had, I'd actually surrendered to that a long time ago. But that obsession was taken away from me. Okay, do I think about drinking occasionally? Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. But I don't have the desire to drink, which is a beautiful thing for me. Because I can concentrate. Initially, my first year and a half or so of getting sober, clean up the wreckage of my past, and then moving on with my life. It's helped me with my family. My wife's still around. I don't know who's crazy or her or I, if she's still around because of everything I put her through. All I can say is it's got to be love because she's still around. I didn't lose my family. I could have lost my job because when I got out of the hospital, um, it was a Thursday. I went home and I went looking for my meeting list. I've never gone looking for my meeting list before. And I go, i got to get to a meeting. And I'd been working with a gentleman for a few months before that. Uh, he was my sponsor. And every time I drank, I went crying to him. And he was real patient with me and stuff. And he was actually told to kick me to the curb. He goes, nah, I kind of think he's going to get it eventually here. Something has to happen. I needed that four-by-four, four, as I like to refer to it, up the side of the head to get my attention. When looking for my meeting list, he calls. I go, I'm almost to your house. Came and picked me up. We went to Orbaker's uh, Hamburger Stand Up on 104, if you're familiar with that. Yeah, good place, right? We spent two and a half hours there eating and talking, and I've been sober, you know, ever since then. I've sponsored a few gentlemen. Um, like I said, Jesus Christ is my higher power. But your higher power can be whatever you want it to be as long as it's something greater than yourself. Because obviously I ain't it or I wouldn't be here. And I have actually sponsored a gentleman. I had one gentleman who was actually, we were kind of, he's an attorney, so we were kind of litigating whether we we're going to work together and stuff, I guess. <laughs> and a uh, very bright gentleman. And he said, well, Doug, this, this may be a deal breaker, but he said, I'm an atheist. 
I said, that's not a deal breaker. You don't have to believe in God to get sober. You just have to believe in something greater than yourself. For you, maybe it's knowledge. And he said, he's very well read. I said, that could be. He said, I prefer you believe in God, but I can't tell you what to believe because that's not my place. That's my recovery. That's my story. So all I can say is we had some new, new, fairly new people. I don't know if they're here or down at the first time. Congratulations to the anniversaries. But uh, steps two and three, when I started working the steps, those were no-brainers for me. Because so I'd already been, a, you know, I was already a Christian and stuff, but I'd really fallen away from my faith uh, due to life, let life get in, get in the way, and um, my drinking, obviously. So one thing my sponsor asked me to do when I was first getting sober, he said, whether you like to pray or not, but just do me this favor. Just ask God to, to help you not to drink when you wake up in the morning and thank him for not drinking when you go to bed at night. So I kind of expanded upon that. I asked him to please give me the strength, wisdom, and the courage not to drink today. And then at night, thank you for giving me those things. And, of course, I pray for a lot of other people. I pray every morning, and I pray every night, and sometimes a lot of times in between during the day when things are happening. Um, I've got almost six years, but there's still a lot of stuff that pops up. It's like, what do I do? That's what the phone's for. I always say one of my mantras right now is Dr. Bob and, and Bill W. set the precedent. The best and easiest way to stay sober is one alcoholic talking to another. It can't actually be that simple. You still have to do the work, but you got to talk. And I'm a big talker, as you could tell. Now, my wife said, you're going to be that old guy that goes into the store and just talks to anybody that's right there, aren't you? Well, yeah, actually, I am. <laughs> so a lot of that came from my profession of dealing with people and talking with people. So I never really had a problem uh, approaching people and talking to them. Some of them looked at me and worked, turned right around and walked away. Fair enough. But um, I'm really glad I got a chance to come here because I've, I've never really expressed uh, in the rooms as, as far as my faith goes. Um, I actually attended church for the first time with my wife last Sunday because yeah, I got an issue with some Christians and stuff for the way they conduct themselves. I'm not trying to be judgmental, but uh, where I'm at right now, I get a more of an hour A meeting than I do on an hour and a half worth of church, to be honest with you. But God's still a part of my life. Like I said, he is my higher power, and I have to depend on him to get me through the day sometimes and the folks in AA. And um, I think that's all I have then. Yeah? Thank you. Thanks, Doug. Um, our second speaker is Randy from the Three Legacies Group in Buffalo, New York. My name is Randy, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my home group is Three Legacies, and my sobriety date is November 20th of 2007. Um, so that reading... I prayed about it. Of course, I waited until last night or last night to read it, um, and then I uh, was really nervous about it. <laughs> I'm still really nervous about it, um, but it made me think of a couple of experiences, and it mostly kind of boils down to um, uh, things that have gone in, on in my life before taking the steps and after taking the steps, and um, and even uh, the the one thing that like kind of uh, brought me here was. Uh, when I was at the end of my drinking, uh, I attempted suicide. 
and my older brother had um, had been in AA before and knew what I was going through. Um, didn't exactly tell me, but um, he did know what I was going through and tried to be helpful and um, asked me if I was praying. And uh, and uh, in, out of that whole thing, I ended up, like, shortly after that, I went to jail, and um, I, I started praying when I was in jail. And uh, my, my prayers were pretty consistent, but I was always asking for help. And then the night I got out, I ended up in AA. I got lost and ended up uh, bumping into a guy asking him for directions, and he turned into my first sponsor. Um, so uh, that having that pointed out to me within the first couple of months of being here um, proved to me that my, my prayers are being answered. Um, and the first couple of months, like shortly after that, there was um, something that I it was I had one of those moments of if I tell my sponsor this, I'm going to be kicked out of AA. I had one of those moments, and uh, I, w I was sitting on that for a while, uh, for about I don't know I think I had about 90 days, and it was just really getting to me. So um, the one night I, I I asked him if he would talk with me, and we went and we had a talk, and uh, I prayed about it before I did it, and. Um, I don't know, it was just driving me crazy. It was really driving me crazy. And um, when we sat down and I finally, like, I was like, this is the moment. This is, this is where he's going to tell me this. this is like, so I tell, tell him what I needed to tell him. And uh, he responded with, that's it. <laughs> that, that's what I got back from him. Um, and uh, he said, all right, well, he's like, uh, let me talk to my sponsor. But that's, that's not as bad as you think it is. Um, and it was just... Uh, like I, I really like held on to that for a really long time. Like for, for like since the day I walked into, I'm gonna have to tell him someday. And um, there was there was more of those moments too where like I, I felt like um, like one of those I'm gonna take it I'm gonna take it to the grave type things. And um, at one point there was uh, I, w I was I was doing I was it was before I was going to sleep and I was praying at night and um, this this thing was on my on my mind for for months. And uh, I was thinking well. Um, I'll just wait until I do my fourth step. When I do my fourth step, then I'll tell my sponsor. And then um, something in my head said, well, what if you never make it to the fourth step? Um, so then I, I, I took that well enough. Then the next day, I, I went to my sponsor and told him, again, what I needed to tell him. And um, after, I mean, after taking some of the steps and being more acquainted with my higher power, um, even shortly after, it was like um, I applied to go to school. And because of my... Uh, legal background. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I applied to school and I received a letter back stating, unfortunately, blah, 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 we can't take you. And um, my, uh, my first reaction, like the first thing that came out was like that, that I thought of when I received this letter and read it, which normally I would have really got down on myself was, well, if, uh, if God wanted me to go to school, then I would be going to school. And um, that, uh, then I was like, well, where did that come from? <laughs> that's not some. That's not a normal thought that I would have had um, at that point. And then, then I spent the rest of the day obsessing about that. Of where did that come from? Um, and then uh, later on in my sobriety, um, having been through steps and going through big things, um, there was a there was a my 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 current sponsor. Um, I was I was in in the midst of changing home groups, um, a home group that I'd been with for almost eight years. Um, and I was on hiatus, I guess, from them and was seeking some more help. And uh, my current sponsor offered to uh, take me through the steps. And um, I had the I, had, I could tell when like 
my, my head and my heart were in two different places because my head was freaking out, but my heart was like, right, this is right. I felt right about it. Um, but I didn't. I took a couple of days to uh, really pray about that, and uh, really be really really be sure about the, the what was going on. Um, and then, like, I think it was like three weeks later, I went through another another big thing in my life that uh, it took a lot of prayer and it took a lot of looking at my part and what I did um, and taking responsibility for it and uh, knowing that um, uh, what is it? Uh, God never gives me anything I can't handle. So uh, I I don't know. There was there was a lot of a lot of that that went into there and talking to a lot of people and getting a lot of help. And um, so uh, that's what it, that's what the reading made me think of was the, those experiences of having um, not exactly been acquainted with my higher power and then somewhere in between and then where I'm at now. Um, that I I'm still it's uh, the one of the the things that we're doing right now with my sponsor is uh, this um, this nightly inventory that doesn't exactly happen every night <laughs> but um, we've been exchanging inventories at night and one of the questions is what did I do to grow my relationship with God so on a daily basis now it's like a conscious thought of what am I doing today with that relationship and um, there's a, a girl at my home group that shared about um, her relationship with God and I put it in terms of my belief of and my relationship with because uh, and I, I told her I said um, when, when I shared I said well I believe that you're sitting there but that doesn't mean I have a relationship with you um, and that's what I need to work on because I, I have I have a 100% belief in my in my higher power but my relationship with him isn't always the best um, so uh, we were going over last last night I was I we did our agenda items last night <laughs> which that's funny that you were talking about that. So we were doing our agenda items last night, and um, one of the uh, sections I had to go through was AA and armed services and CPC. So I was reading through it, and a lot of it was the, the pamphlet for the armed services. So I was reading it, and there was, um, there was one guy in there that talked about how he started getting sober, and he uh, wanted this promotion. He, he thought he deserved this promotion. And when his higher-ranking officer called him to let him know that um, he wasn't on the list to get this promotion, um, he started having, he went through his own turmoil. Um, um, and uh, I don't remember if it said he thought about drinking, but he did talk about what he was going through. And um, he sat down at a meeting, and he told all these people about what he was going through. And this man that he'd never seen before, um, this, old, this older guy with a, white beard, he said. That's all I remember about the good description, but he said this older guy with a long white beard told him um, when it was his turn to share that uh, when he dies and he goes to the pearly gates that um, God's not going to ask him what rank he had or how much uh, money he made or what job he had or any of that stuff. All he's going to ask you is, um, did you take care of my children? And um, that, hearing that um, made me want to cry, actually, <laughs> when I read it last night. Um, so uh, my, uh, I'm still working on my relationship with my higher power, uh, my and my concept too. I mean, that's still uh, in in the works and the progress. Because like uh, when I was younger, I had a religious view of my higher power, and um, my my concept is slightly different from that um, because I, I'm, I'm Native American and um, I I follow a traditional sense of my religion, 
um, which states that I shouldn't be in churches. Um, and it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm in a lot of them these days. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so, and like, and according to my religion, my higher power can't hear my prayers from within a church. Um, so while figuring out this whole concept, even at that point, eight years away from a drink, and having been praying for quite some time, um, the idea that um, I thought, well, if it's my concept, then he, maybe he can hear me from within a church. So I started doing both, <laughs> uh, praying outside and praying inside, because it's, it, I talked about it at a meeting, too. I was like, well, what if, what if? <laughs> so, uh, but more prayer never really hurts, so, um, <laughs> so I started doing both. And I, and I have been doing both. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's about all I have, so that's all. Thanks, Gary. Uh, hello, hello. Okay, and our last speaker of the night is Barry H. from Early Birds. Hi, everybody. My name is Barry, and I am an alcoholic. Kira, I hope they don't kick you out of the home group when they're done hearing me. Um, you never know. I probably don't need the microphone, so if I get a little loud, I'll step back for you. But I never know what I'm going to talk about, despite the fact that she sent me the reading, and I read it, and I read it again, and I read it again at the break. I still don't know what I'm going to talk about. Well, I know we're going to talk about two things, two of my favorite things. We're going to talk about AA, and we're going to talk about me. Because those are my two favorite things. So when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was what you could call, I don't know what. You could pick your word, a non-believer. Uh, God and I, however I defined God, we separated ways right around the age of 13, maybe 14. Which also coincided with right around the time that I was becoming a daily drinker. Go figure. Um, so when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, my experience was very different. I'm always fascinated by people who have a white light presence experience like Bill had in the hospital bed like this. Mine was not like that. I did not have that experience. Mine was more like came, came to, came to believe. It was a period of time um, that um, was extended for a long while for me. It didn't sudden, I was not struck sober. Um, and, and I've always been jealous of people that were. Um, because there's people like the guy in the story who, who had a had an experience, they had a feeling, they felt a presence, and then they didn't drink anymore or want to drink anymore. And that's just not been my experience. When I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I knew that I had a problem with alcohol, but what I really wanted was for somebody to teach me the secret of how to drink and not have consequences. <laughs> Could you teach me how to drink so that, sh you know, that my stuff doesn't get packed and thrown on the front lawn tonight? Could you teach me to drink so that the cops don't come tonight? Could you teach me to drink so that I don't have to go before the judge again? So that's what I wanted. And so when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I read the steps. They were right on the wall. I got through the first six or seven in the first ten minutes of my first meeting. And I figured I got this down, you know. And in and the second meeting, I went through the rest of them. And so, you know, I had just exactly what I got, which was off-the-wall step work. 
Um, and that's exactly what was me at that point off the wall. So, but I, I did what they told me to do. And what they told me to do was to don't drink and come back tomorrow. And so I didn't drink and I came back tomorrow. And then the next day they told me don't drink and come back tomorrow. And the day after that they told me don't drink and come back tomorrow. And, and somehow I got the impression that if I didn't drink and I came to a meeting every day that I would be struck sober. That I would have that white light experience. That I'd go lay in bed some night and suddenly the archangel would come and say, boom, you're sober. It, yeah, it's not what happened to me. What happened to me was is that I was around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous every day. I never missed a day. Got up every day, got dressed. Well, I got showered. Then I got dressed. Then I went to a meeting. And then sometimes I would go back home. I worked for myself, had my own business. And then about mid-morning, I would be, I better go to another meeting. Because sometimes that's all I could do. That, that's as far as I could go without having a drink because the obsession was huge for me. I could barely breathe without thinking about having a drink. And so all I wanted to do when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics was follow, Alcoholics Anonymous was to follow instructions, and that's what I did. And at one point in time, they, asked, they said, you've got to get a sponsor. And I'm like, okay. So I saw this guy. I liked him. He said nice things. Oh, will you be my sponsor? He said yes. I said, good. Huh, perfect. About five months later, which was the next time I talked to him, <laughs> I had a solution to my problem. And it wasn't the first time I'd come up with the solution. It was multiple times I'd come up with the solution. In fact, before I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I had this solution. And the solution was is that I was going to put everything in order. I was going to get my crap together, you know, and I was going to kill myself. And then my family would get this big boatload of money, and then I will have done my job. I will have done what fathers are supposed to do. I've done what husbands are supposed to do. I put money in the bank. I put food on the table. I put cars in the driveway. I put clothes on your back. What more do you people want from me? And so I came up with this solution because, quite frankly, I'm six months almost into this coming to AA every day, and, and I want to do something like kill myself because if this is what it is, thanks, I'm out. Because you people took from me the only thing that ever worked. And what worked for me came in a scotch bottle. A big scotch bottle. <laughs> big, big scotch bottle. A 1.75 liter bottle of scotch. Every day. And you took it away. And I had nothing. But I got up every morning and I got showered and I got dressed and I went to a meeting. And at six months I said to this guy, hey, can I talk to you for a minute on the porch? And he said, sure. And he said to me, what's going on? And I said, I'm going to kill myself. I, I got the bridge abutment picked out. Five Mile Line Road, 104 eastbound. There's a great big hunk of concrete. I'm going to drive my truck into it at 65 miles an hour, and I'm pretty sure it will do the job. And he said to me, oh, I got another thought. You know how sponsors have always got another thought? <laughs> His thought was this. He says, what, what if we do the steps? What if we do the steps? Let's go through the book. There's a thought. Let's go through the book. And if at the end of going through the steps you still want to kill yourself, I'll help you do it, and I'll help you make it look like an accident. <laughs> now, that, that's a sponsor right there. You don't get those too often, but I got one. So we started to meet, and we opened up the book. And we went to that first part of the book. It's called The Doctor's Opinion. And in The Doctor's Opinion, something happened to me. 
And in the doctor's opinion, I learned that I had uh, three elements of a disease called alcoholism, that I had a physical allergy, that I had a mental obsession, and that I had a spiritual malady. I wasn't too keen on the spiritual malady part until he read this, and he said, in the spiritual malady, it's defined in the doctor's opinion as the natural state of the alcoholic is restless, irritable, and discontent. And I just raised my hand and said, that's me. That's been me for forever. For I can't remember how long. Maybe when I was kicking the slats out of my crib. I don't know. But I've been restless, irritable, and discontent for a long time. And in the doctor's opinion, I learned about the disease in the concept of allergy, that I had an abnormal reaction when alcohol got put into my body. My body says, give me more and give it to me right now and do what you got to do. That's what my body says. And then I had an obsession about alcohol, which wasn't like a tick like I thought of like in Rain Man, but it was more that it was the predominant thought that pushed out all the other thoughts. And so I could go f through my drinking history and I could find all of the elements of the disease of alcoholism. And then, and then we got into this book and it said, you know, the first step is to fully concede that you're an alcoholic. To fully concede to your innermost self. Innermost self. So for me, that meant that I had to be convinced that from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head that I was an alcoholic. And I truly believe today that unless you take that step, unless you truly believe that, that you might not make it through the rest of the steps. Just saying. It's been my experience. I've been around for a little while. And my belief is, is that when somebody gets through some step work and then there's another big explosion and they go out and they do whatever they do to try and satisfy that obsession that's in the back of their mind that's growing because they were 99.9% .9 sure that they were alcoholic and that 1% festered and grew and got marinated until it got a drink. And so I was a non-believer, believed in the disease, understood the disease, understood restless, irritable, and discontent. And then we said, okay, the first step is done. And my sponsor said to me, well, let's do the second step. And I'm like, oh, all right. The second step. As soon as we're done with the second step, in my head, you're going to shave my head and make me sell flowers in the airport. I'm sure of it. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to have to be born again or something. I don't know. I'm not going to be that kind of guy. I was born okay the first time. So my sponsor, who was, as I've already told you, a very wise person, he said to me, that's not what the book says. The book doesn't say that you have to believe in a God, anybody's God, including your own. It just says that you have to believe that it's possible that maybe, some way, somehow, maybe, that it's possible that maybe, possibly, there's a power greater than yourself, and it's not you. And I'm like, well, possibly. <laughs> maybe. Possibly, maybe. And he said, good, let's move on. you got a higher power. And I'm like, whoa, 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 back the heck up. He said to me, Barry, the sun came up this morning. Did you have anything to do with it? And I said, no. And he said, good, you got a higher power. Let's move on. He knew we needed to move on. Because I could have stayed in the second step for the next 20 years. I had to move on. And, he's, and the book is right. I just needed this much. The door just needed to be cracked a little bit for me to get started. And then we went into that third step where it says, turn my life and my will over. Really? Seriously? No, no, no. We have to back up to the second step because you better define this higher power. Because I need to know, like, sitting at the right hand, sitting at the left hand, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Does he have a beard? Is there a staff? 
How many commandments? What's the rules? And he said to me, turning your life and your will over to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous would be turning your life and will over to something higher, a higher power, something greater than you. How about we just go there? How about, are you willing to do four through, through nine? Will you do steps four through nine? And I'm like, sure. I already agreed. We would do the steps. And he said, good, you've just taken the third step. You've just turned your life over to the steps, to four through nine. Let's move on. And I'm like, son of a gun. I'm thinking, you better call your sponsor, because I'm not sure this is the... I'm not sure this is what I've heard in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But guess what we did? We moved on. And he stuck a wad of paper in front of me. And he said, let's go to the fourth step. And I did the fourth step. And I did the fifth step. And I did the sixth step. And I did the seventh step. The fifth step I like to refer to as the big puke. But it's just me. Um, I'm not going to talk about the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth. I'm not going to talk about any of them. Because I'm going to just jump right over to the eleventh step. Because for me, it was... The 11th step. Do you where it's up here on the wall? Remember them? There, oh, there they are over here. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him or her, uh, praying only for knowledge of her will for us and the power to carry that out. That's where I came to believe. That's where it happened. Every day, when I turned my will over, every day, when I said, okay, fine, take control, I'm not driving the bus. I'm not in charge. And I'll tell you that today, you know, the power greater than myself that I had in the, in the early days, you know, in the early days, the power that was just this little bitty sliver, you know, has grown. It's changed. It's completely different. And that's what I really think they mean when they say came to believe. I think that it's a process for me. And I'm kind of today, although long time ago, well, not long time ago, long, long time ago, just a while back, I was really jealous of those people that got struck sober because that's not what happened to me. And today I'm really grateful that my spiritual awakening, that my spiritual experience, I sometimes really prefer to refer to it as the book does sometimes called a psychic shift. That's the part. that The psychic shift for me is the big piece. that The thoughts and beliefs and understandings that I used to have have been replaced with a new set of thoughts and beliefs and understandings. That's the big psychic shift for me. A spiritual experience for many, and it's fine, because I guess it is for me as well. But over a period of time, the higher power that I had that day that was the maybe, possibly, there could possibly maybe be a power greater than me, has turned into an all-powerful, all-loving God today. Um, she and I don't always see eye to eye, um, often don't see eye to eye. But one of the things that has happened in that process of me moving through the process of, of getting a higher power and developing a relationship with a higher power and having conscious contact with a higher power is that it's really started to permeate my life in a lot of different areas. Um, and particularly for me, because of my role in the world outside the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, it has taken on a very large meaning when the big book says that our maximum purpose is, is to be of service to God and the people about us. 
It was a pretty big revelation when somebody pointed out to me that there's people about us that are on the outsides of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know the people I'm talking about. That lady in the line at Wegmans that's got 12 items and there's only supposed to be 10. That one. You know her. The people that don't know where to park. Those yellow lines are just suggestions in the parking lot. Just park it anywhere. It doesn't matter. I don't really care. But this power greater than myself has helped me come to understand that I'm not in charge. And that was pretty scary for me. Because, well, some days it was still pretty scary for me. Because I'm a control freak. I'm a Scorpio. Whatever that means. I don't know. They keep telling me that. Scorpios are control freaks. I know I'm a control freak. I want to be in charge of everything. And if you put me in charge, I'm going to get a hammer and beat people with it. And if that doesn't work, then I'm going to get a bigger hammer and beat people more. And probably for me, you know, the leadership positions that I've had in Alcoholics Anonymous have been significant in that, you know, whether I was serving on a committee at the intergroup or whether I was on the board of trustees or when I was chairman of the board, um, it doesn't, it, 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 it all was a process for me to come to understand that I was not in charge. And I came to understand that the, the biggest piece of a leadership role in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous is to try and let God into the process. And that starts with our group conscience. And it, and it, just, it, goes, I mean, it doesn't matter whether we're in a committee, whether we're area assembly, whether we're at the intergroup, whether it's the board of trustees, whether it's the intergroup reps. Letting God into the process is a very difficult thing to do, particularly when you've got a room full of alcoholics like me, who want to be in charge of everything. And so, for me, moving through, morphing through that process um, and having that higher power in my life today that makes me understand that I'm not in charge. By the way, I have not been crowned. I don't have sainthood. You know, I have not reached the levels of perfection by any means, not even close. But on a good day, I'll at least recognize the fact that I'm not in charge and that God is. And that helps. That helps a lot. But one of the things that I will talk about, they told me I had a lot of time tonight, so rest up. <laughs> one of the things that happened as that process began with the, with the higher power was that, that um, I really was a non-believer at the beginning of the step work. And as I developed a relationship with the higher power and came to understand more things particularly getting reinforced that I was not in charge, that there was a power greater than me that wasn't me, it really did help in my step work in pieces. Um, you know, so uh, on the fourth and fifth step, you know, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of trepidation, and I, and I was scared. I was scared a lot of a lot of stuff. There was a lot of stuff in my world that I wasn't about to tell anybody. Maybe God when I got there, if there was one, but I wasn't about to tell any human being about what had gone on. But I came to understand that that power greater than myself, you know, would take that fear from me if I, if I let it. I, I didn't get to the point where I could ask for it, but if I let it. If I just let it go and say, oh, I'll worry about that another day. It let me get through my fourth and fifth step. And then I really do believe that in the fifth step process that I told you already, I call it the big puke, that it let all of that stuff out. All that stuff that I drank about, that I let out. And it says in the fifth step that we tell God, ourselves, and another human being. And that was that, what that process was for me. It was, a, it was 
to some extent, a fairly significant spiritual experience for me to go through the fifth step. Because there was this spot after the fifth step in the book where it talks about this nearness to our Creator. And that after I had shared every nook and cranny with this guy, with this sponsor, I did feel that. And it was the first time that I felt like there was something that I could maybe connect with occasionally. And then that grew more when I did my sixth and seventh step work because it I let me understand my character defects and it let me understand that I didn't have to keep my character defects, that I could change, that I could have a profound personality change, that I didn't have to think the way that I always thought, that I didn't have to believe the things that I always believed. And that came as a process of I came, I came to, and I came to believe that my world could be different. And then in the eighth and ninth, oh, God, Please. I needed my higher power. And luckily, that process grew even more in the ninth step process. And going through my ninth step, you know, the, that was difficult. I think it's difficult for everybody, especially when you are a blackout drinker like I was, to go through the ninth step and to have to have something to fall back on. And the thing that I had to fall back on was is that I had this new power greater than myself that I could rely on that was going to take care of things. There was a guy in my home group who used to say, and I, I loved it, immensely, and I and he's since passed, but I've stolen it from him, um, and he read it out of a grapevine. I've not been able to find which one, but he used to say all the time, it's going to be okay even when it's not okay. And that just really summarized for me the whole idea of having a power greater than myself in my life, was that it'll be okay even when it's not okay. When my head says it's not okay, it'll still be okay. It'll still be alright. So anyway, today, I have a great relationship with my power, my higher power. I have a great relationship with the people in my life. And I think that there's a correlation. I think the fact that I have a relationship with God means that I can have a better relationship with people. I can have a better relationship with my siblings, with my mother, especially with my mother, and with my fiancé and with the people that I work with and with the lady in front of me at Wegmans that can't count. I'm, and I'm not going to point it out. You know, it used to be I would. I had to. There wasn't anything that kept me from pointing it out. I had to do it. It's just part of me. It's just the way I am. Well, today I can keep quiet. My higher power has taught me how to keep my tongue. Restraint of pen and tongue. So anyway, today I really want to just tell you this, that I'm really grateful that I lived long enough to get to AA. Because when I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt. There was nothing left. I was gone. And I was probably about this close from dying from this disease. And I'm really grateful that I stayed long enough to do the steps. Because I see it every day. I see it all the time. I see people come in, they don't do the step work, and then they go back out. The lucky ones come back, and lots of them don't. And over the years, I've seen a lot of them that don't because they aren't able to or willing to, you know, develop a spiritual life. And I'm grateful eternally that the steps took for me that obsession to drink. I know that there are people out there, and this is controversial, and I don't mean it to be controversial from my perspective. I am not someone who gets up and says the third step prayer every day. I don't need to. God took from me the obsession to drink when I did my step work. It's gone. I don't struggle with it. I don't white-knuckle every day. I get up every day with the confidence of knowing that the obsession has been taken from me as long as I maintain my spiritual fitness. 
I don't have to ask God to keep me from a drink today. God already did that. That came through the step work, just like it promised. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, that's what I got promised. That's what came to be. So for me today, it's more focused on step 11, where I get to develop that relationship and get to hone it and get to understand how it fits into my behaviors and how it fits into my speech and how it fits into my relationships. So I'm grateful today that the steps took from me the obsession to drink, and I'm really grateful that you guys are here tonight helping me stay sober one more day. Thank you.